And the question is, was I more alive than I am now? I happily have to disagree. I laugh more often now. I cry more often now. I am more me. Objects of my affection. Peter, Bjorn, and John. Hello and welcome to the flip side. I know it's been a hot minute since I've put one of these out, but I've had a whole lot on my plate. I'll get to that in a minute. First, let me just let out a long sigh. Welcome to 2021. I'm excited to be back. There was a period there where I didn't want to do this anymore, but now I'm hungry for it. I want to work on projects like this. I want to reach out to my humans and let them know how I'm doing. I'm bad at that, which means by proxy I'm bad at this, but I'll do better. So let me break down my plan for that. For a long time now, the title of this episode in my folder was simply Season 2. I have plans for how I want things to be different. On the whole, things will stay the same with two big exceptions. I'm not doing weekly releases anymore. Sorry, even a simple 10 minutes a week takes a surprising amount of time and effort. And until the day where I'm able to hang out with real people and generate new experiences that will be interesting to listen to, I'm going to focus on things I enjoy that I'm re-experiencing in modern times. Much like my previous episode that dove into the wonders of one of my favorite shows, I'm going to launch into a season of immersing myself into things I love. I'm not going to rate them, and I don't think I'll even recommend some of them. I just want to share them and talk about what makes them special to me. If fun stuff does happen, I'll be sure to share that as well. In fact, my intros are going to be the same. Just a recent occurrence or thought that maybe leads into the topic of the remaining episode. Not this time, though. Although it's February now, I originally had written this episode back in mid-January. Life simply conspired against this project, so bear with me during all of the New Year talk. January marks the end of the holiday season, but holds its own variety of typically personal traditions or ceremonies. It's the season of change for a lot of people who use the influence of a New Year's resolution to try to affect some betterment in themselves or the world around them. I've tried that in the past, but I find social pressure to be an ineffective excuse for self-improvement. Not knocking those who are able to achieve, it just doesn't work for me. That doesn't mean I don't have my own New Year's rituals, my favorite of which is the New Year's playlist. I started this practice a long time ago. An exact time frame can't be established due to the fact that none of my old iPods function. Some of them don't even physically exist anymore. I want to say it started around 2007 with a playlist called Newsic. I took all of the tracks that I loved from the past year and threw them all into one place. Then next year, I had another Newsic, just spelled Newsack. The tradition evolved during the first few iterations. Instead of just recently added tunes, it became an amalgamation of all the music I had been listening to most frequently. I would build a big list at the beginning of the year from my most played list and add in the newest hundred or so songs. In these modern times, circa 2015, the year I got on board with Spotify, I spent that January listening to every song that I had on my computer and adding in all of my favorites to a single playlist titled Just Moose. The year I was 29, I titled the year's playlist Last 20, a bad play on the oft-reference and oft-overplayed Radio Top 40. Do Right By Me and Tap Your Toes were the next few before we hit the 2019 current version of the list titled Toity 2. I'd like to think that I don't sweat details like my own age, but before the advent of Toity 2, I struggled to answer questions like how old are you with any kind of sensible timeline. Now I get the casual reminder every time I plug in. Also, it helps track my personal club bangers for each year of my life. Double Tibbo was supposed to be Double Trippo, a play on the title of the classic Nintendo, insert the sound effect here, Double Dribble. If you're still lost, Double Triple was my way of saying 33. And that brings us all the way to now. A few weeks ago, I began the process of listening to all 3,165 songs on my liked list. 
By the end of it, I expect to have a few hundred songs in the lineup, a list that will dwindle pretty quickly at first as I hone the list into a formidable form of enjoyment. Sure, it will grow more as the months go by and I discover yet new music to add, but that's the joy of it, to end the year with a pristine list of my favorite tracks. Just going through 3,000 songs is a time-consuming process, especially when keeping up with my regimen of Discover Weeklies, podcasts, audiobooks, home life, and the attempted sleep. I try to finish it out by the end of January, and I'm happy to report that I'm currently on track. This year I have titled the list, The Tree Four. It's an homage to Shel Silverstein and his poem, The Monkey, whose last words are, The Three Four. It's a silly poem, as you might expect from the author, but it's also one that I've had memorized since my childhood. It's not significant or unique or impactful in any real way, other than it revolves around replacing words with numbers. The cleverest slant involves a doctor who happened to be 11 on a hill. I simply enjoyed the poem, and due to the fact that the numbers run in order, it was more of an earworm that I couldn't avoid memorizing. I've actually got a few Shelversteins rattling around in the old dome that I can't seem to shake, but we can cover that in another week. Also, if you're curious as to my evolving taste in music, I've included links to the more recent playlists in the episode description. Go ahead and give them a listen and let me know if you find any favorites. Note from the modern future, I finished building the playlist on January 25th, and it started in at just over 7 hours long. A link is also in the description. Before I get too far from the events, I want to briefly touch on the rough political shenanigans from the past month. I was on my lunch break when I first read the initial headlines concerning the coup attempt at the Capitol building. I watched a few clips on Twitter that people nearby had shared or had swiped from the geniuses smart enough to stream their ongoing crimes. The rest of my day at work was spent with a window open on the news and an earbud tuned in to the unfolding events. I saw clips of the Capitol officers letting protesters waltz right in the building. I watched videos of the rioters attack the police and security alike. The chants and cries to erect gallows and disrupt democracy really showed the true colors of the groups present. Hate groups, terrorist groups, and just plain stupid people who were whipped into a frenzy by a torrent of lies told by their president, which reverberated into madness within the echo chamber that the right-wing media has become. Every person who drew the comparison to the BLM movement in an attempt to justify insurrection should take a long look at themselves in the mirror. Take some time to wipe the spit off their chin and take their red hats or white hoods off and really look at themselves. The hypocrisy displayed shook me and every sensible person in the world that day. That may not have been the beginning of it, but the longer the climb to the top, the wilder the dive can be. And on that day we jumped. The whirlwind weeks that followed brought about a wonderful second impeachment, the slow reveal that GOP donors were leaving in droves, countless arrests of those involved, and the confirmation and inauguration of our new president, as well as the beginning of a steady march towards a sense of normalcy. I've expressed my bleak views on government here before, so I'm not celebrating an all-democratic-controlled process, but I am celebrating the fact that it seems like we're on the right track to get back to where we were in society a decade ago, a marked improvement from the Stone Age of yesteryear. I'll be more excited when I see real progress, when I see real accountability from all parties. I don't want finger-pointing, I don't want excuses, I don't want explanations, I want actions. There exists the possibility to close the loopholes and problems that led to the last four years, and if they aren't closed, the problem will continue. Now that I've said my piece, I'll get back to the fun stuff. I recently re-downloaded one of my favorite games, Fallout New Vegas. In my opinion, it's one of the best open-world RPGs. 
The main story functions as a mechanism to just introduce the mechanics and world, then sets you and the consequences of your action loose into a broken world filled with monsters, mutants, and factions of humans all vying for power in the post-apocalypse. It features some of my favorite snippets of dialogue from any game, and the gameplay is still good enough to bring me back time and time again. With a new computer in tow, I've packed on the beautification mods and a few quality of life improvements, but most importantly, a whole new slew of community-provided content. People who are passionate about the things that they love have made a new experience to be my vessel into this wonderful bit of escapism in these trying times. I'm not here to sell the content or the original game. Both are amazing, but not the point. The memories invoked by this game are powerful and take me back to a time in my life where I was able to play video games at work. No, I wasn't in the gaming industry, but yes, I was being paid to play in a roundabout way. I worked the graveyard shift at a residential treatment center, a home for troubled youths who struggled with trauma, addiction, or the curse of wealthy and terrible parentage. During my shift, I would set up a small portable TV and the game console of choice for the night and could drop about six hours into any game. A buddy of mine played through Fallout 3 with me as much as another human could, considering a single-player RPG. We would each play our own game during those long shifts, and would meet up in the mornings for breakfast and would talk over what wacky wasteland experience we would encounter. We'd swap tricks and tips and locations for strange findings. We'd discuss our different choices we would make during the same scenarios and what the differing outcomes would be. It built a strange sense of camaraderie in a single-player game, and for me, it really defined both New Vegas and the original Fallout. Now, as I cruise around the raider-ravaged Nevada desert, I can't help but think about those long nights. The people and the places I would visit in real life when I wasn't diving into the exact same escapist experience. While the newly beautified graphics mean I'm not technically under the same digital sky, there still remains a strange correlation with the radioactive soda and that transition between teens and twenties. The choices I made then and the choices I make now are different, both in and out of the virtual desert. But I still can't side with Kaisar, whose pronunciation still bothers me. Thanks for listening, and thanks for coming back. I was honestly hoping to drop this about two weeks ago, but I promise I'll be more committed to the project. I'll still drop it on a moment's notice if it means real humanism. I'll just try to finagle my schedule around to re-include it later. I'm still on Facebook and the Gram, and will still keep posting my updates there. And unless something wacky comes along and catapults me into the spotlight, I don't expect many platform changes. It's a science thing. Don't worry about it.